This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Donald takes the snap. Looks left under pressure. Bullets one over the middle. And he's got Crowder. At the 10. Cuts it back. At the 5. Goal line. Sam Darnold did it again. Jones. Pressure takes away. Bradley McDougal. And welcome back to another episode of the Cool Your Jets podcast. We're your host, Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. Michael, I'm not sure how much longer I can keep doing this. I honestly don't even know, but you know we're going to come back every single week and talk about all this nonsense. But the, the stealth black uniforms look pretty good at night. This is the first time I've watched them live on TV in a night game because I was at the Browns game last year. That one wasn't very Wait, fun either. Th- th- but, this is your I biggest mean, takeaway? Yeah, the, I mean, the, 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 the team is in turmoil. The great. The there, team is in... I think there was a game, but, I mean, from a fashion standpoint, there was a lot to like. I mean, okay. I mean, the team is on a crash course towards the number one pick. The head coach is clearly going to be fired any day now. But we were hoping it was going to be today, and that's why normally we record these right after the game. We're actually recording this Friday morning. Just on the slight chance that Christopher Johnson would fire Adam Gase, but – that did not happen, so um, I guess it's now it's just a weekly watch. If they lose next week against the Cardinals, the, the chatter is going to get even louder. Then they're going to have to travel west and play the Chargers. It's going to get even louder. I mean, they have a hard stretch of games here, so let's talk about that. Um, I know there's plenty of other topics to, to talk about when it, when it comes to this game because I feel like we did learn a lot about this team. I would say we learned more so about this team uh, in this game than maybe any other all season outside of week one when we learned that they – we're going to be pretty bad. I feel like we, we learned a lot about this team, but let's talk about the whole fire gaze thing because I've been going back and forth on this all week. Um, I think before the Colts game, I was like, yeah, I don't see him getting fired. I, you know, he, Christopher Johnson just called him an offensive genius. Um, I just, he obviously likes Gase. Um, Gase is going to use the injury excuse. I said, well, I think he'll get fired at the bye week, which is week 11. But then that, that Chris Mortensen report came out before the, the, right before the Colts game that said, you know, keep an eye on him these next two games. Jets Brass is looking at it, blah, blah, blah. So my hope started to get up. Uh, and I think with you, Michael, I think we both started to think heading into that Broncos game, like, oh, oh shit. especially after that terrible Colts performance, like, this is it. Like, if, I mean, if they get blown out or if they lose to a third-string undrafted free agent, you know, rookie making his first start, that Gase is going to be out of here. Then that Rappaport came out that said that they're, they're not going to move on from him. Uh, and then, yeah, before the game, I was like, yeah, they're not going to move on from. So, I, you know, I was cheering for the, them to win. I mean, I, it's hard for me not to cheer for the Jets to win. Also, even if you want the Jets to get the number one pick or want them to get Trevor Lawrence, you know, I'd still rather have them go one and 15. And when you look at the remaining schedule for the Jets, I don't know how many or who they can get wins against. So I do think that they are not going to go winless or anything. I think they'll probably win a game or two. Um, but the Broncos was certainly a, an important game from a draft perspective, considering that they are another pretty terrible team uh, before this game was a winless team and they were probably the, the best bet for the Jets to get a win 
um, in the early part of their season. But with them taking another loss, I mean, it's just – it's pretty bleak for, for Adam Gase. Um, so, Michael, what are your thoughts on the, the Gase situation? Obviously, they, they lose a close game. There were some good things from Gase, but, I mean, when you look at the way he handled the Mekhi Becton injury, the way he handled the Sam Darnold injury, and, and we'll see if Darnold has to miss time with the AC joint sprain. I know Drew Locke, that, that was his injury that's kept him out the last few weeks. Um, but, you know, there's, there's different grades to it. Trent Dilfer was saying today that, um, you know, he had 11, I think, in his career, and he played through them. It's just about managing the pain. Um, but, you know, we'll see. It could benefit Darnold from, from being on the sidelines for a few weeks, just letting him catch, the, catch his breath because this has been a pretty terrible season. And we saw that that happened for him in his rookie season. He got hurt, he missed a few games, and he came back, and he looked – a little bit more rejuvenated. So maybe there's a positive there, but from a fan perspective, I do not want to watch Joe Flacco for the next few games. Um, but regardless, Adam Gase deserves criticism there to how bad the red zone offense was. Um, and then the whole, you know, Bush league stuff at the end of the game. And the fact that they lost at home prime time in front of the world against a terrible team with a terrible quarterback. Why do you think Christopher Johnson didn't fire Adam Gase? And what are your thoughts on it? I mean, it's a tough question to answer. I mean, he hired Adam Gase in the first place, with, which didn't make a lot of sense, considering he was a very bad coach who uh, had players publicly speak about not liking him at his previous stop. So, I mean, we're talking about someone who already hired Sky in the first place. So, I mean, I think, honestly, the only way to possibly explain it is that, you know, he's just afraid to admit his mistake and wants to give it a chance to play out, but there, there's no rational explanation for it. Uh, I, I think, especially with what happened last night, with playing Makai Becton, who was clearly injured, obviously they didn't start him, but dressing him anyway, even though he clearly wasn't healthy, and then throwing him in for Edoga over Connor McDermott, who was healthy, and obviously McDermott is terrible, which we saw throughout the game, but you have a healthy – he was supposed to be an emergency backup, so why is he playing over a healthy backup? Makes zero sense – and it clearly seems like, you know, Gase was just desperate to get something going. Awful decision. Uh, and, you know, it's not just him. There are doctors giving him advice. Becton probably himself said that he felt like he could go, but it ultimately falls on the head coach. It's not something – you don't want one of your franchise players playing hurt, especially as clearly hurt as he was, even though he's right. playing really well, which shows how dominant he is. But that was just – to me, that was a nail in the coffin. Well, let, let's, let's stop else, right there. That was, I just think it's something that, I mean, that is horrible. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I know I asked you the question, and now I'm going to stop you because you bring up a really good point about the Becton injury. Um, and I, obviously the way he handled it in-game was bad. But let's talk about that. The fact that he's not healthy enough to start, but then the backup who's now playing in his place gets injured on the third play of the game, the fourth play of the game. And so Makai is then theoretically healthy enough to play 98% of the snaps in the game. It just made zero sense. And it's like, of course, a right. rookie. It's, what is the fine? Like, if he can't start the game, why is it okay for him to play at any point? Right. Because the, if he's a backup, there's a possibility exactly what did happen could play out, that he's going to have to play the whole game just like he would if he started. So it makes and it's, no sense. And it's not all. for a lack of bodies, like you said. I mean, George Fant literally has said that he feels more comfortable at left tackle. So there was made no sense why they couldn't just slide fan over to left tackle play McDermott at right tackle or Idoga if he if he could have returned um 
and it's just, it, it, of course, the rookie is going to say that he feels like he can play. I mean, he's, he, how old is he, 21 years old, 22 years old. He's playing in his fourth NFL game. Of course, he's going to try to tough it out and play. But it's your job to protect arguably the best player on the team and your franchise left tackle. Looks like he can be a future all-pro. Um, I get the situation of it's like, okay, look, we're not going to have um, – you know, if you already have a ton of players in your, in your inactive list and it's like, okay, we can keep him active just to have another body. If you lose all your tackles and you're in the fourth quarter and there's four minutes left and he has to finish out the game and he has to go in, then fine. But that's not a situation that where if Adoga goes out within the first series that Becton should ever go in. If you're going to dress a guy like that, which I don't really even agree with, but if it's like, okay, we need the extra body, it's an emergency situation, let it be for an emergency when you actually need it. But they had a tackle waiting in the wings in Connor McDermott and a guy who said he prefers to play left tackle. I mean, that was mind boggling and you could have fired Gase at halftime just based off that decision. Yeah. That, and there's plenty in addition to that, whether it's the leadership, the accountability, the inefficient decision-making doing the opposite of what, you know, situations call as the right decision, the, the play designs the not building an offense around Darnold, the getting blown out more than every single coach in the league since he started coaching there. I mean, in addition to all of that, to have the Becton decision should have made this an obvious decision, uh, but I, there, there's no really rationale for it at all. It's just an owner who does not know anything about football and just wants to, uh, give his wrong decision chance uh, a chance to play out and maybe look less bad, but it's inevitably not going to pan out and Gase will be gone at the end of the season. And I guess we're just going to have to deal with it for maybe another 12 games. I guess it could happen at the bye week or in a few weeks from now, once they get some players back and they still get blown out, but well, there's, there's, also, it, there's, there's yeah, good. saying that you can't, that you can't, uh, move on in the middle of a week. I mean, there is seven days where let's say they get blown out on Monday night football against the Patriots. I think it's week seven or, or something. I mean, there's cause for, for Gase to, to, to be fired then on another primetime blowout loss at home against your, your heated rivals, even though it'd only be six days, it's still a week to, to get prepared. Yeah. I think that we all assumed this was the perfect time because it's prime time. You had the long week, but I mean, teams will fire coaches at, random points of the season doesn't have to be uh, you know a perfect time it would be more ideal to do that but it, it, it still could happen at any time especially with the reinforcements excuse going out or the returning players excuse going out the window starting next week so it could happen at some point I wouldn't rule it out especially if they continue to rack up these multi-score losses like they have these first four games but uh, there's zero rationale for it he should have been gone after this game uh, and there's it, it makes no sense at all but it's just you know this is how football works owners make the decisions they are not very qualified to make those decisions but it's just how it is yeah I think the only positive that I can think of this and I, and I would imagine that this actually does factor into Christopher Johnson's decision making because I don't think that there's any chance that Gase returns next season barring the Jets win you know nine games or rip off, you know, nine or 10 games and put themselves in playoff contention late, which is not going to happen. Um, but anything outside of that situation, I think the one thing that does show, uh, assuming that, that Johnson knows that he's going to move on from Gase after the season or maybe during the season, is it does show that the future coach, that he's going to have a long leash, that they're not going to just fire him immediately, that they're not going to be too reactive, that he's loyal. And, 
and that's annoying I, for I fans. I feel like this is exactly what we said with Bulls a couple of years ago. I mean, I, oh, I just think that's an overrated. I mean, I it is good to show that to the future coach, but now we're sitting here with Gase and we're keeping him, and it's a negative thing for the team. I, 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 just, I, I think you have to do what's right for your team, and that's getting rid of a guy who brings nothing positive to the table at all. I completely agree, although – Firing Gase in season is not going to change much. The thing that it does right, change it, it is it won't solve you, anything. I, I just, it's still there. It can't get any worse. It's right. really the main. There's, uh, well, there's a few it. positives to, to firing him. I think the number one thing is, is and look, the Jets have had a losing culture the last 10 years, but I think keeping Gase around and, and just the, the way that they're losing, I mean, this last game isn't a great example of it, but the way they lost the first three games, presuming it's going to probably revert back to that in the next few games you just keep emboldening this losing culture that you accepting that this, this is how Jets football is going to be in the year 2020. So yeah, if you fire Gase, one, you get a chance to, to evaluate Sam Darnold. The fan base honestly gets, will probably uh, be more interested in the games, be less apathetic, be wanting to cheer for some wins, at least some members of the fan base. I know Michael's probably not a part of that. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, 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 a lot of times when you fire a head coach, your interim coach comes in, they're not going to go to the playoffs, but you do see them in many cases win a few games just because it's a complete stark contrast to what your head coach has been doing. It provides a, a jolt to the team. It does send a message saying losing is not acceptable, but I would imagine that Christopher Johnson is saying to himself that, look, we're going to fire Gase. He'll probably is not going to make it through the season at this point, but we know we're going to fire him at the end of the season. It's not going to change much. Let's just show to future candidates that, look, we're not going to be reactive to a loud fan base. We're going to stick by you. you know. And, and Gase ha- does not deserve to stick around. I mean, Gase has pretty much been the worst-case scenario for a coach. I mean, he's reached co-tight levels of bad. And I think when you look at a team like the Falcons as well, and look, Dan Quinn did go to Super Bowl, so it's not apples to, to apples. But when you look at how loyal they've been to Dan Quinn after some mediocre seasons, where if he was in New York, he probably would have been fired – that Atlanta spot, assuming that it, that Atlanta job, assuming that it opens after this year, is going to be attractive. And one of the reasons is, is you know that owner is going to stick by you for, for a while. He's going to give you a chance to build your program. I'm not defending the move. I just, I would imagine that that is probably the primary thought process to, to Christopher Johnson's thinking. I'd imagine the money factors into it a little bit. And I think he probably believes that not much is going to change and it's better for Darnold for Gase to be around. But Michael, you and I clearly disagree with that. Yeah, I think that is a legitimate positive, but I still don't think it outweighs or even comes close to outweighing uh, outweighing anything you get from firing him at this point. You want to give Sam Darnold – Sam Darnold right now is not in a good spot, and you just want to give him a change of scenery, a different voice in his ear, a different philosophy, change things up, see if he can get a spark for 12 games. And same thing for the entire team. Just give them a little jolt right now. They just lost – to a team on its third-string quarterback without its best, best pass, pass rusher, without its best receiver. They lost plenty of players during the game. They came in 0-3, lost that game at home on prime time. So even though they are more competitive in this game, it's still arguably kind of as bad as the other games because it was a much worse team than Buffalo, San Francisco, Indianapolis. So uh, there, it, it makes no sense to keep him. But I guess that is – when it's all said and done, I guess there is that positive – of uh, as potential candidates knowing that the ownership 
uh, will have some patience with you. But I still don't think that's worth, you know, going through another 12 games with Gase. I think there's so much – you could get so much more out of your season besides just tanking and showing candidates you're going to be patient. You can get so much more beyond that if you just cut ties with them now, change it up a little bit, and see if you can get a little bit more out of this year. And there's a segment of the population, I think Troy Aikman might be part of it, who – luckily for them has not been watching every single Jets game. And, and I would imagine some head coaching candidates are involved in that. I would imagine some people around the NFL are around in that uh, are involved in that where they're not watching Jets games every week. And then they see them in this game and they say, look at all the injuries they're battling. This roster is not built to compete. The young QB is not playing well. And he had him in the game and we're going to fire him after uh, 20 games uh, as the head coach, of the Jets, but Jets fans know the way they've lost the fact that he's brought in as a QB guru and his entire job, you know, depends on Sam Darnold's performance. So that can't be an excuse for him. If Darnold doesn't play well, that's an indictment on Gase. We've seen um, his tenure in Miami, the way the players feel about him. Um, and just, yeah, a lack of creativity on offense. I mean, I know I don't want to beat a dead horse because everybody on Twitter is who thinks they're a film analyst will talk about it, but it is important. The lack of pre-snap motion and the ineffectiveness of the play actions they run. And you've talked about it. The, the second and long running up the middle, which is just so predictable. I mean, on the two point conversion trial, I was literally able to turn to my sister and say, Donald's going to roll to the right here. And these three guys are going to go to the flats. Like I, I knew what Gase was going to call for that two point conversion. You know, granted I could have been wrong, but I would imagine defensive coordinators do as well. I mean, he's highly predictable. Um, there's just a lot of negatives that you know this is not the guy to lead you to a Super Bowl. But I would imagine there's a segment of the population that sees the, the lack of, of talent on the roster and the injuries, and they say, well, they're only going to give him 20 games. I mean, you know, what are they going to give me if it doesn't go well and I'm trying to install, you know, build a program here? I imagine these are the things that run through Christopher Johnson's mind. Um, and, you know, look, I, I don't hate Adam Gase. I know he could come off as smug at times. It, it doesn't I feel bad for him a little bit to see him on the sidelines. Just, you know, you can see from his eyes that he knows that he's, he's probably done here and that he's not as good at what he thought he, he, he was meant to do. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a bummer of a situation, but he definitely deserves to be fired. And it's just, I mean, it's, it's so funny because in, in the, the buildup to the season, you know, in, in June and July and August, I mean, you can't wait, or at least for, for me, I can't wait for, for Jets football to start. And we're four games in, and now I just can't wait for it to be over. I don't want to have to sit and watch them play the Seahawks and watch them play the Patriots and the Bills again and, you know, the Cardinals and the Rams. I mean, I don't want to have to watch those games. Um, obviously, we will. But, I mean, this looks like this season is, is heading towards, a, you know, arguably the worst since I've been watching the team. Yeah. And, and I just want to talk a little bit about what you said about, um, you know, just the, like Joe Buck and listening to Joe Buck and Troy Aikman just uh, rattle off the excuses for Gase nonstop throughout that game. That was not very entertaining, but uh, I want to talk about those excuses a little bit because when you don't have talent on your team, it's not an excuse for, it doesn't make it so you can't evaluate your coach does it limit how many points you can score how many wins you can get of course it does you're not making the playoffs you're not going to be an elite offense with Jeff Smith and Josh Malone and Chris Hogan that's not going to happen so you understand that but at the same time you could still evaluate him independent of those things look at the offense he's running does it complement Sam Darnold no it doesn't does he do things that are that make sense analytically in terms of what's efficient no he doesn't he runs on second and long more than any other team in the league did it last year, still does it this year, even though that is uh, very clearly not a smart thing to do. Especially with 40-year-old um, Frank Gore. 
exactly. It, if you, it would be different if you had an elite rushing attack. If you have Ezekiel Elliott, Nick Chubb, and Kareem Hunt, uh, and you could you know get six yards in second and ten to turn a long third down to a short one, that'd be different. This run game is improved from last year. It's not that good to where you should be doing something that is the opposite of what's efficient. So he doesn't make efficient decisions. He doesn't build around his quarterback. You look at the plays he calls. Or he does not adjust during the game. Didn't do it in Miami. Doesn't do it here. Um, the, also, the fourth and one play, the field goal. And I could see that when they were down by two, kicked the field goal in the fourth quarter. You should probably be going for it in that situation. And it's just another thing. Analytically, it's the correct decision to do. He clearly has not embraced analytics that much. And he actually has been pretty aggressive on fourth down, but still just inconsistency. Sometimes he will do what's right. Most of the time, not. Uh, then just the leadership. The, I, and they know a lot more about that than we do. But at least from an outsider's perspective, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of good, you know, just player to player, face to face coaching and just leadership going on. He, you never, ever, ever see him talk to anybody during a game, not even argue with an official, especially rarely talks to his quarterback um, based on the he, press He did do more of that this game, I will say. I, he did. I did see him. He did in this game a little bit, to but I still don't see enough of it, I don't think, than just the accountability press conferences. So you can, regardless of what the talent is, you can look at him based on the things he can control. And when you look at those things, he doesn't do any of them right, doesn't build around his team correctly, the strengths and weaknesses of his roster, tries to force his system upon the players instead of building things around them, especially the quarterback. Um, doesn't make efficient decisions, isn't a great leader, doesn't really play, doesn't just during the game, doesn't play the weaknesses right. of his he, opponent, like the 49ers game where they were missing Richard Sherman, they were missing Nick Bosa, but didn't go off of his conservative game plan. Um, so it doesn't matter what, you're, what the talent is. That's an excuse for not making the playoffs or not being productive statistically. It absolutely is for that, but – you could still evaluate him if you just look at what he's doing, regardless of the talent. And when you do that with Gase, he's not a good coach at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I will give him a little bit of credit. I feel like in the last two weeks, he's done a better job of trying to play to Sam's strengths. You clearly saw them. They're running a lot more hurry-up offense with playing with some tempo. They're running more RPOs. They're getting him out of the pocket. But they're not doing enough of it. And – even, I mean, they're not giving him simple reads. I think that's the biggest thing. And the pre-snap motion, I do think, is, is you can see a direct correlation in today's NFL between pre-snap motion and offensive success. And the fact that they're not doing any of it, and his excuse for it is because, I think he said it was something about, like, the fact that they are a hurry-up offense. They want to be able to just get to the line and, and get going. But I think that's just kind of, you know, BS, considering that their first two games, they're more of a drain-the-clock type offense. But, yeah, spreading them out bringing guys in motion and then, but just easy reads stuff over the middle levels, concepts. I mean, there's way too many out routes and corner routes. Those type of things should be supplemental to your offense. They shouldn't be the basis of your offense. Those are the type of things you run when a defense is getting killed over the middle and they say, okay, uh, we got to, you know, bring our corners inside. We bring our linebackers on some hook curls or hook zones and whatever. And that leaves the boundary a little bit open, but how many throws last night were to the sidelines. I mean, there's just right. nothing there, over there. There's, there's a time and place for doing that, but you should build when you throw out routes, there's very little, if any, after the catch potential. And it's a much harder throw than throwing over right. the middle. That's why you see, look at all the great offenses in the league, Kansas city, Baltimore, 
and our guy, Arthur Smith in Tennessee, it's all over the middle stuff. That's how you let playmakers make plays and make the job easy for the quarterback. There's a time for out routes and stuff into the flat, but you're the core of any offense should be crossing routes, slants, stuff over the middle. And the jets rarely do that. And Darnold, I mean, you saw it in, in this game, especially has all the physical gifts required to succeed as a quarterback. I mean, that QB run was pretty ridiculous. And one of the things we talked about was him having to elevate the team or make something out of nothing, that these are some of his best traits. And you saw it on that play. I mean, nobody would have blamed him if he took the sack there because Josh Adams completely missed the blitz pickup. Josh Adams, Jesus. Kalen Balazs, you can't blame me. Kalen Balazs completely missed the the blitz pickup. Darnold wasn't even looking at the blitz, so he just, without looking, sidestepped him. And then obviously you saw the the beautiful juke and the fake fake, uh, slide and and running all the way for a 45-yard scamper. That was an example of Darnold elevating the team, putting him on his back, uh, making something out of nothing, which are things that you thought he could do coming out of USC. Clearly he has the physical gifts, and it's Gase's job to, to capitalize on that, make it do what Arthur Smith did for, for Ryan. And I'm going to keep talking about Arthur Smith the entire season until, until he comes to the head coach of the Falcons. Um, but do what Arthur Smith did for Ryan Tannehill. Tannehill was another quarterback like Darnold who struggled with some of the mental aspects of, of football, going through progressions, locking onto targets. Uh, he's he struggled making some co- more complicated reads in Gase's system. And Smith has put him in an offense or in a position, and Gase can do the same, where his physical talents are what carrying the team. He's giving him easy reads, putting it on his arm and not his head. And Gase, for some reason, keeps trying to force Sam Darnold to be Peyton Manning. And and 23-year-old Darnold could develop into a smarter quarterback the more years that he gets, uh, especially if he plays with with a better line and better weapons whatever. But 23-year-old Darnold at this point – still plays like a rookie. And part of that is the Jets' fault for the way they built around him. But it falls on the coach as well. And as I hammered home last week and a little bit in this episode, that cannot be an excuse for Adam Gase, the supposed QB whisperer. His job, arguably more so than winning the Jets a Super Bowl when he was hired, was to develop Sam Darnold. I mean, that was how it was treated. We pretty much hired a QB coach as our head coach, the way that that was perceived uh, in my mind, is that this was the guy that's going to take Sam Darnold to the next level. And he's not done it. I mean, Darnold has things to work on, and he can be criticized. But this is more on Adam Gase than it is on Sam Darnold, in my opinion. Right. And, and there are a lot of things Darnold can get better at, which you know, I'll definitely talk a lot about. But in terms of using Darnold as an excuse for Gase, that makes no sense at all. If you were a defensive coach and his defense are playing well, and you're 5-11 and because the quarterback isn't good, then sure, then that's an excuse, I guess. But you know, in Gase's position, he was brought here for Sam Darnold. So if he's not developing, that's on you. It's not an excuse for not producing. It makes no sense. And what does it tell you when all of Darnold's best plays this season, all of Darnold's touchdowns have all not been a result of Adam Gase. They've been three broken plays and an audible. Darnold in this offense, there's not many times where the design play that, that Gase draws up where Sam drops in the pocket, he looks calm, he looks confident, he makes the read, he goes through some progressions and gets the first down. That's really not who Darnold is as a player. Every single one of Darnold's highlights, albeit a few plays, were broken plays or him getting out of the pocket or when the offensive line breaks apart and he has to, again, a a broken play or just moving around, um, guys coming back to the football. That's when Darnold is creating, and that's when he has his best plays. There's not many plays this season where Darnold has had, well, it was a great throw or that was a great play from Sam, where it was just the regular designed play drawn up by the offensive genius of, of Adam Gase. 
Yeah, exactly. And that and that's really what the what the quarterback position is becoming. We're seeing so many more ta- physically talented quarterbacks getting, you know, chances taken on them whether it's Deshaun Watson, Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, uh, a lot more quarterbacks like that and, you know, a lot less of these very, you know, stationary quarterbacks. And teams are building around them so their physical tools can be maximized. They're not saying okay, this is the NFL. You have to make reads now. You got, and look, you do. Darnold has to be a lot better at it. They're, it's not like they're just putting them out there and making it so they don't have to do anything mentally. There's still a lot of mental to it, but right. they're doing the most that they can to allow physical tools to shine. When you look at Buffalo, Kansas City, Baltimore, uh, they're making it easy for these quarterbacks to do what they do best from a physical standpoint. They're not saying, all right, here's my offense. You got to learn to run it. And that's what Gase has done. Right. And there's plenty of things that Darnold has not has regressed at or has not done that are directly on his shoulders, but I, it's not on Sam Darnold. This team is not on Darnold. Um, I still believe that Sam is going to be a good quarterback in this league. Um, but the, yeah, the Trevor Lawrence chatter is going to get louder and louder and it's unfair to Sam. I mean, it's completely unfair to Sam. And I would say that I, I know, Michael, you're a guy who's kind of aboard the Trevor Lawrence bandwagon, but it's not necessarily yeah. because you don't think that Darnold is going to be a good quarterback or it's his fault. And that's the reason we're not winning. But when kind of explain to some Jets fans who get mad in, in your Twitter mentions, when you mention that if the Jets are the number one pick, they should take Lawrence and, and trade Sam Darnold. Well, I do think Darnold can still be good in the league at some point. It's just the Jets in their position. If you do land in that number one pick, it's not something you can pass up on. The contract is a big part of it. You have to make your fifth-year option decision on Darnold after the season. And with the way he's played so far, it's you just can't hitch your wagon to that and pass up on a chance you know, to take a generational quarterback prospect in Lawrence, you're, it's very hard to get the number one pick. So if the Jets are lucky enough to do it this season, uh, it, we, me and you were talking about it. It's like the reverse Super Bowl. It takes a lot of luck and being very bad to do. So if exactly. you are lucky enough to get there, it, you can't pass up on that opportunity because you're not going to get it again unless you're Browns level bad. But right. I don't think the Jets are. But it, it's a very rare opportunity. Well, and so just think about it this way. It. Both of our lives, Michael, the Jets have been um, – for the most part, terrible. I mean, 2000, 2010 was, I guess, the latter half. Run. The latter half has been terrible. But let's just say the Jets have been pretty historically bad, I guess, the, the last decade and, and since we've, we've been fans. And they've never had the number one pick. Well, Not even the so. second pick. We, we haven't even, yeah, exactly. Not even the second pick. So you're right. We brought the, it was the analogy. It is really the reverse Super Bowl. And instead of competing against the Ravens and the Chiefs for the, you know, number one team in the league, we're competing, we're competing against the Jaguars and the Giants for the number 32 team. But it's, it's not as hard, but it is still, it's, it's an uphill battle. I mean, the Jets, I would still not put my money on the Jets getting the number one pick, even though I still think they're the worst team in football. I just can you never know those fluke wins can happen. You get two or you get three, you get lucky. They fire Gase, they get injuries, but you never know. And then they pick up, you know, a fluky two or three wins and now they're picking two or three. Right. So I think if they land number one, it's pretty obvious. Lawrence is a great prospect. Uh, you can, and you can, it's very attractive for a prospective head coach, especially an offensive guy to come in, you know, you're going to have Lawrence uh, and just start building from there. So that makes it obvious. Now, if they don't land at number one, then you're in uh, Justin Fields or Trey Lance range. Then I think it's interesting. But for me, I think you still have to go that direction unless Darnold takes a big step forward the rest of the season, because 
look, is Sam Darnold the main problem with this team? Is his decline his fault? No, it's not. It's all the Jets' fault for building around him poorly. But this is just who Darnold is now. It might not be his fault that he is this bad and on the Jets for failing to support him. But right now, he's just not a good quarterback. The production speaks for itself. But even aside from that, because we know he's not going to put up numbers uh, with you know some of the things going on around him. But you just look at him play, he's really regressing. He still isn't uh, – not only are his weaknesses, he's not improving on them, but he's like devolving from them. He's – you know, not just only looking at his first read. Now he's first read taking off like he's what we thought Josh Allen was going to be. There was a play in the the red zone yesterday uh, against the Broncos where Crowder was open for a potential touchdown, but Darnold was looking right, first read, and then he just took off and scrambled and threw the ball away. Uh, the Frank Gore wheel route, which I did make fun of, and you still should not be sending Frank Gore in a wheel route. Uh, that one in the red zone on a third down. Chris Hogan was wide open over the middle, but Darnold didn't want to look there because he saw a blitz, just got it out quickly. When it actually did turn out, he had time to see it. Uh, there, his field vision just isn't there, and the downfield accuracy against Denver wasn't very good. Uh, that So there's just a lot of problems with him right now. So he can still become great, and I do think if he does go somewhere else, he will become a good quarterback. He's plenty of time left in the league. Uh, if he goes to a place where – a team will give him time. They'll build around him uh, and, you know, put him in a good situation, sort of like Ryan Tannehill in Tennessee, who is actually way older than Darnold is and still has been able uh, to revive his career. I yeah. think he is going to be good. But from a Jets perspective, if you get a chance to just start it over, get a quarterback right back at the beginning of his rookie deal instead of Darnold's point, align the timeline with the new play caller and head coach, uh, then I think that's just probably going to be the right decision because as talented as Darnold is, there's no guarantee that you're going to be able to get him back, not only to where he was, but then to bring him above where he was to fulfill his potential. Because right now he's regressed from where he was at the end of 2018, even at the end of last year. So you have to fix him and then lift him up. So no, he's not the main problem with the team right now. And yes, it's the Jets fault for pushing him down to this point, but this is the product that he is right now, a quarterback that is really struggling to read the field, does not have a lot of confidence in the pocket, uh, and is leaving a lot of plays on the field every single week. He made plenty of great plays against Denver, but still the consistency that you expect out of a quarterback in 2020 hasn't been there uh, for Darnold. But passing numbers going up so high every single season, just you know, the up and down makes you uh, not just a, a not a great quarterback, but quarterbacks are becoming so consistent in the league uh, and the level that Darnold has been playing at is definitely not, you know, ideal for a starting quarterback and puts you in that, you know, bottom five range that he's been at this season. So he can still become a good quarterback. And if the Jets do keep him, they can, you know, figure it out if they pick the right guy who I think would be Arthur Smith um, and be patient with him, get the right weapons built, make this offense line even better. Although I think it's improved a little bit. Um, they absolutely can still make him the guy here. But if you get th through the end of the season and he still hasn't improved some of these weaknesses and you have a chance to take Lawrence, even if you uh, do have a chance to take Fields or Lance and you like one of those guys, I, I just think it makes sense from a contract standpoint and timeline standpoint to bring in a new, court, a new coach who could pick his guy, build around him, have that whole rookie contract and just start over with a fresh body who you don't have to fix but you can take in as who he is 
and build up around that because it, it's going to be a project with Darnold, even bigger than any quarterback that you draft because he's got he's developed these bad habits over these you know two games and uh, a couple weeks with you know just all the stuff going on around him Adam Gase building the wrong offense around him the bad protection a lot of bad habits so you got to work out of those and then build him up so Darnold can still be great in this league I, I think he will be good in this league and it could the Jets could do it with him but uh, unless he improves a lot down the stretch of the season I don't think it's going to be a better decision to stick with him over just taking one of those top three quarterbacks if they do have the chance, uh, if they land in that top three right. and can be guaranteed a shot at one of them. Right. I think it, I, I you know, I love Darnold. I feel terrible for him when I see him on the sideline. I, right. If he goes somewhere else, I will definitely be cheering for him. And I think there's about probably a 70% chance in my mind, maybe 75 even that he will develop he will go somewhere else if he goes somewhere else he'll go somewhere else and he'll develop into a good quarterback he might not be Patrick Mahomes but he might be more Matt Stafford he might be around that 9 to 13 range he may throw 28 to 30 touchdown I think he will have a good career in the NFL I think he's just too talented not to and it's clearly the Jets have failed him but in that 25 percent chance that he doesn't and the Jet let's say the Jets keep him that he doesn't pan out, that he is just kind of the same quarterback he is right now, a lot of mental mistakes, leaving plays out there, and you pass on a generational talent like, like Trevor Lawrence, no GM wants to be in that situation. No GM wants to have that on his record. And uh, Joe Douglas is not tied to Darnold. He presumably, you know, and it's weird that GMs think like this, but there are GMs that think like, you know, I want to be the guy that took the franchise quarterback. So unless Darnold really balls out or the Jets don't have the number one pick, you know, uh, sorry, if the Jets have the number one pick, he's not returning. But if he balls out and they don't have the number one pick, I, I definitely think that, that he should return. The whole thing with Lance and Fields, I'm not there yet. I would still take Darnold over them. The only situation I wouldn't is, yeah, one, if, if Douglas falls head over heels with one of them, obviously it's his team. And if, if that's the way he feels about Darnold and, and whether it's Lance or Fields, then oh, so be it, especially if he hires, you know, he has, he has the Baltimore connection to Greg Roman. If he hires him to be the head coach, you know, a more mobile quarterback like Lancer Fields might make more sense. Um, but, you know, with, with Trevor Lawrence, I think it's, it's I would probably uh, take Lawrence, especially with the contract reasons, lining up the timeline. And I would say probably right now, Trevor Lawrence is probably a better quarterback than Sam Darnold. I know Lawrence hasn't taken a snap uh, in the NFL, so that's going to be blasphemous to, to some people. But Lawrence is – a once in a generation QB talent. They said that about Darnold, but not to the extent of Lawrence. He's probably the best prospect to come out since luck, even better. I mean, I knew about this kid since he was in high school. So I can't see Douglas passing up on him. And look, if Darnold who clearly flashes, and I think a lot of teams would be interested. I mean, I, I, I would think there's at least five to 10 teams that I can think of that would conceivably be interested in trading for Darnold. You could probably get a two for him. I mean, maybe even a one, but if they're one in 15 and picking one, probably not, but you could probably get a two for him. And then you're looking at to build around your new quarterback on a rookie contract. Uh, you have two ones, probably two twos, two threes. You have an extra one the year after that you have resources to build around him. It's Douglas building around him. They have the cap space and what will be one of the best free agent classes of all time, considering how many guys are going to have to get cut. So it just makes too much sense. It's terrible how this team has failed him. And, and you brought up a really good point that, look, and, and I think it should be Arthur Smith. Obviously, we've been banging the table for him, and it might apply to him as well. But let's look at Eric Bianami, who so many Jets fans love. 
I don't think Eric Bieniem is choosing the Jets' job unless he's getting Trevor Lawrence. He may like Sam Darnold, but I don't think he's choosing the Jets and all the dysfunction and how bad this team is and playing for the Johnsons uh, unless he's like, okay, well, I'm going to get this once-in-a-generation QB that I, that I can coach. And that might apply for Arthur Smith. It's just it, – it makes things a lot easier. I love Darnold, and I, and I feel bad for him. And I'm still – I'm still not even at the point where I'm cheering for losses and for him to, to suck or anything. I'm still cheering for Darnold to win games and play well because I don't want to move on from him. But if they have the number one pick, it, it's just, it is what just makes sense for the team. Yeah. So if they get number one, it's a no brainer, but I mean, I know it's early, but I'm still starting to lean towards, even if you don't get the number one pick, you should probably look for one of those other two guys. And it, it depends on what Douglas thinks of him and the entire scouting staff what the new head coach slash play caller, presumably they hire an offensive coach. Hopefully they do, but whoever is running the offense, what they think of those quarterbacks, but just Darnold right now is, and I wanted him, I still want him to succeed so badly. It's so easy to root for him. He's so talented and the jets have done their part to ruin him. But still, when you look at him right now, he's just a broken player and, and look against Denver. He made plenty of great plays. The run was amazing. And there were some really good moments in the pocket, but a lot of these running plays that he's making now is just this regression from him. He was never this sort of running quarterback. He would extend plays to make throws, not extend plays to scramble. And a lot of these scrambles over the past couple games, he's leaving much bigger passing plays on the field. So it's, he's not even the same type of player that he used to be with some of these scrambles now. And still locking on to his first read, isn't too confident to throw from the pocket and will fade his body away and he's delivering a throw. Although at the same time, there still were some moments in the Broncos game where he didn't do that, made good throws under pressure. So he's a roller coaster ride right now, but overall he's still, I think has been a much bigger part of the problem than a lot of people are kind of willing to admit, not the problem, not, not even the biggest part of the problem, but definitely part of it to a pretty big extent. So hopefully he does turn it around. And that's why I think firing Gase would make a lot of sense because clearly he's regressing. So it would be good to just give him a change of pace, see if that could spark him a little bit, but it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. So uh, we'll see if he turns it around, but I do think he has to show quite a bit more over these next 12 games uh, to make himself look like a better option than uh, potentially drafting a quarterback next year. It, and he's still, it, we're four games into the season. He's 23 years old. I say this so many times. He's not even as old as Mayfield was when he debuted against the Jets two years ago. Still Four. not even that old. So and, he's and, got plenty of time. But as, as it stands right now, he's got to be a lot better to make, make himself look like a better option than drafting a new quarterback and putting him alongside, uh, putting him on the same timeline as an incoming head coach slash play caller. And you mentioned Ryan Tannehill earlier. And I, and I think, I mean, he's at least a, a good person to look up to for, for Darnold to just see a career resurgence. Tannehill was 24 when he entered the league and Darnold won't even be 24 until next year. So certainly a lot of time for Darnold. As I said, I'm still rooting for him. I still want him to be the quarterback of the Jets. I will accept the inevitable that, that if they have the number one pick, they should, and they will take Trevor Lawrence, but I still am cheering for him. I'm not yet with the Lance Fields thing. I, I do really like both prospects. It's a definitely a good year to need a quarterback. I still don't think the Jets do. But when you look at their situation, it's just, uh, it's just, it's honestly just sad. I wanted to get your thoughts on the um, the end of the game situation between between Gase and Fangio. What were your thoughts on that? Because, and, and I'll just give my thoughts. I mean, that was I was just asking the question to give my opinion. But essentially, uh, it 
look, I think Gase calling timeouts was, was Bush league. I, I think it's, you know, just stupid, but worst case scenario, that just perturbed Vic Fangio, Vic Fangio, you know, it was just annoying. It's like, okay, okay, whatever, buddy. But I do not get the hate that is coming towards Greg Williams or to, I mean, look, Greg Williams team was totally undisciplined and had some late hits, but with, specifically just with the end of the situation, end of the game situation, how can Vic Fangio be upset and play victim when, yeah, he called the timeouts. Okay. That annoyed you, but then you went out up 10 with what 15 seconds to go on fourth down and drop back to throw. And, and I don't even, I, I don't even know if he was just throwing out of bounds, but it's like you chose to throw. So you put your quarterback in that position and your offensive line got beat by 40 year old Steve McClendon, who will get his, you know, one or two sacks this entire season on back to back plays. You own responsibility for that, and your offensive line does as well. I mean, I, I think the Jets deserve, and Gase deserves plenty of, of blame. I think if he had just called those timeouts and then Fangio had just kneaded or punted or whatever, and the Jets and Gase got to stat pad with one Sam Darnold 15-yard completion or something, you know, Fangio could have said that was Bush Lee calling timeouts at the end of the game. Whatever, he could have been annoyed. People would have been on his side, and people are on his side right now. But the fact that they're upset – it's like you put your quarterback in that position. Those late hits were not egregious. They were tough hits for sure. But it's like you're the one throwing on fourth down. You're the one who can't block Steve McClendon and Terrell Basham. It's just I, – I don't – it's not like they were just open rushers. It's just I thought that was completely bogus that people were criticizing the, the Jets for that. It's like, yeah, I love Steve McClendon. It's like, yeah, if you're going to throw and you're going to put your undrafted third-string rookie in that situation, then, yeah, I mean, he deserves a hard shot. Like, that's just – it's football. Like – that whole situation annoyed me. I thought Gase was probably in the wrong first, but nothing malicious. It was probably just him stat padding. But Fangio, that was just bad coaching on his part. Yeah, that, that, that was all on them. I mean, if, if you're going to drop back and pass, the defense is going to give an effort. They have jobs to do. They have to put good plays on tape. And, I mean, it will sound re- uh, unrealistic, but it was a nine-point game at that point. You force a strip sack, and you return it, and you score, and there's still time left on the clock. And you could, All right, that's Careful ridiculous. <laughs> that actually sounded a lot more ridiculous saying it than when I was picturing it in my mind. But if you make your quarterback drop back and effort. pass, the defense is not just going to sit there and let him throw the ball. They're going to do their job. So right. I think what he wanted was, them – That was Denver's fault. You can't I... blame the Jets for playing football in a football game. Right. I think what he wanted to do – was okay he called time and he may have done this whether or not Gase called time I actually I think the clock would have would have run out but um I think what he wanted to do was to have him take the snap and then just run around burn as much time as possible and throw it out of bounds and it's like so for that to work then the Jets defensive line would pretty much just get embarrassed if they were to just stand up and not really rush him or whatever because then he could just run around it's like no that's a that's a veteran locker room leader and captain Steve McClendon. He's going to give 120 percent on every single play. And it's like, yeah, of course he he went he went after it and he got in his face and he knocked him down. And then the it was just egregious to then try to do it again and the exact same result happened. So I get all the you know I get the criticism on Gage for the timeouts, but Fangio deserves the 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 criticism for putting his quarterback in that situation. I thought that was completely dumb, um, and you know I think. And I guess this is a good segue to let's talk about the defense. I think that the Steve Smith hating on Greg Williams and there was a lot of people in the media hating on Greg Williams and look, Williams has not been good this year. I think all of that is ridiculous. If you look at last year, they had less roughing the passer and unnecessary roughness calls than the league average. And now they have one game where they have a bunch and now he's 
like a bush league coach again well it's, it's it, this, it does come with his reputation with the whole bounty gate stuff but um yeah i mean i think that that undisciplined uh, i football it falls directly on the coaching staff i think greg williams is a good coach but certainly the loss of mosley and adams um lack of an edge rush and a much harder schedule i mean they beat up on a lot of cupcake teams last year it's important to note that the defense didn't really hit their stride until the middle of the season last year. I mean, around that Redskins game was, I thought, when they really started to, to get things going. So, it's still have time, but it's just, you know, uh, the defense is arguably worse than the offense at this point. Um, but, you know, they did create, I will say, and look, the defense was Swiss cheese, and they got torn apart by, by an undrafted rookie. Um, and so there's not many excuses for the defense, but I will say, I mean, they did get three turnovers and a touchdown, so they're still bad, but I don't know if it's as much of an excuse that, uh, that Gase can use because they gave him great field position and they got six points on the board for the offense. So they were obviously bad, but for all the people saying that Greg Williams also is, or is worse than Adam Gase, it's like, all right, let's, let's cool your jets there. Um, but Michael, what, what has been your thoughts on the, on the defensive performance this season? Because really four straight games where they've just gotten absolutely torn apart. Uh, big plays, especially in the run game, which is surprising. Um, just kind of your thoughts on, on Greg Williams's unit. Yeah, they've been really bad. It's tough to sugarcoat. I, I mean, like you said, they made the big plays in this game. But, I mean, Brett Rippon did pretty much gift wrap all those interceptions. Uh, and then outside of those, he was shredding them for the most part. I mean, 37 points. Um, to a third-string quarterback who doesn't have Cortland Sutton is uh, on the road, too. I mean, not that that matters, but it's, still, it was a pretty bad performance, and this is now the third consecutive, uh, although one of the uh, – actually, two of the touchdowns were pick sixes against Colts. Still, overall, the defense has been pretty bad this year, uh, and I think the Jamal Adams loss is a lot bigger than a lot of people realize. You miss him really badly in the run game. I mean, we saw – uh, McDougal missed a tackle last week in a position Adams might have been in as a touchdown for the Colts. And really just overall, Adams is playmaking in the run game as a pass rusher. Uh, and even in coverage where he's just a really versatile piece, they've missed him quite a bit. Uh, and and Mosley, obviously, you didn't have last year anyway for the most part. But it uh, would have been huge to have him. But, I mean, you're playing Alec Ogletree in linebacker right now. Uh, played Harvey Lange in the first game. So they're really thin there. And Blake Cashman's injury has contributed to that. So that was a pretty big loss. Uh, cornerback has been an issue. Pierre Desir, obviously he had the two interceptions, but he also gave up two touchdowns and over 120 yards. So he was mostly bad, even with the interceptions. He's not been a good signing at all. Uh, so it's just not a very talented defense. It does, just doesn't look as talented as we thought it might be. Um, but but like you said, last year they didn't look really good the first half either, and then they hit their stride in the second half. So we'll see if Greg can make those adjustments again because last year he did a good job in the second half of molding the defense to his talent. Even though it wasn't a talented unit, he figured out what worked for them, uh, and then he you know figured out how to make them a really good unit in the second half. But Jamal Adams was a big part of that with his ability to play so many different roles, and now you don't have a guy like that. Uh, changes things quite a bit so that loss has been pretty big but uh, defense is struggling just as much as the offense and I think the two three biggest positions are probably outside corner inside linebacker and edge rusher and those are three really important positions obviously and almost half the defense but 
those are probably the positions that have hurt them the most. Um, losing Mosley to the opt-out and Cashman's injury has made them thin at inside linebacker. Cornerback uh, besides Austin has not been good. Even Austin has struggled uh, since the first game, especially missed tackles. And he left the Broncos game early on. So you had Lamar Jackson out there who uh, made, did make one good play, but looked pretty lost on a really big completion at the end of the game. Uh, and then the edge rush, we know they haven't had talent there for a while, but there are a couple guys who did step up in this game, uh, Bryce Huff specifically, but uh, yeah, those are the three spots where they're really hurting on defense. Yeah. I mean, it, it it's clearly the, the worst or the, sorry, excuse me. It's clearly the best performance that we've seen from the, the entire team the whole season, just because of the fact that they were in the game. But the fact that this, the fact of the matter is this is a terrible team. Another team that will probably be picking top five unless Drew Locke comes back and, and saves the day. Um, this is a team that really doesn't deserve to save Gase's job, even if he beat them. I know you were on that, that bandwagon. Uh, and it's just one of those things where, you know, I guess was, this was the best result for, for you, Michael. I mean, we got a viral Darnold play. We lost, we're closer to a Gase firing. Um, but before we get out of here, um, your best players and your worst players in the game, because there were a few players that I think, coming into the season had some high expectations that really throughout four games and let's not just use for this game. Let's use for the, through the first four games, we're a quarter of the way in um, just analyzing the team as a whole, whose stock is up, uh, who's risen and, and whose stock has fallen uh, since training camp, since the beginning of the season, what we thought this team could be. Well, the number one stock riser is a pretty easy one. It's John Franklin Myers. He's playing really, really well right now. And it's not even, fluky production that's that's, like, that's our boy right there uh, yeah and, and me and you were and it feels good for us we made a lot of optimistic predictions pretty much none of them have panned out hey we, hey, we predicted guy. adams to the seahawks though so we have that we, we did hat on we did that. predict that so we have some stuff going our way so you can count on us a little bit not entirely though actually anything that all. involves fan bias you can probably disregard but anything that comes from an objective perspective i feel like we we, we hit the nail on the, the head a few times you know a good amount of the times yeah, and with Franco Myers, guy who had a good rookie season, 2018, missed last season. Um, I was really excited to watch him last year, and he didn't get to play, but you know, he's really showing up. Uh, he had six pressures in this game against the Broncos, and as of right now, and look, he's only played three games. He doesn't even play half of the snaps, but right now he's got uh, 11 pressures on less than 50 pass rush snaps. He's the highest pe- pressure rate among interior defensive linemen in the league. It's only, again, very small sample size, but he's playing very well right now. And like I was saying before, it's not like he's just getting chased down sacks or he happens to get a deflection like Coney Ealy a couple years ago who seemed to be good, but wasn't actually that good. He just got lucky to get some deflections. Franklin Myers isn't doing that. He's dominating people really consistently. He's got a lot of pass rush moves, great technique. So he looks really good right now. So how about you? Who do you think has been one of the – because it's so hard to find these positives right now, but right. who do you think has really stood out so far? Well, I mean, Becton's the obvious one because I right. think we knew he was going to be good. and, and he's. But I don't think if you would have asked me after four games if, if I would have answered him as the best player, I think – it's a small sample size, but I think Although if over- you did say he'd be the best player through four games, I would think the Jets were having a pretty good season. Exactly. Yeah, I know. Um, so I would say – you know, Becton, because he, he through four games, looks like a future all pro. So, and, and by the way, 
all the people that are criticizing Joe Douglas's draft class, and look, you can criticize Douglas a little bit because this team is certainly not built to win, but as, as I forget exactly who put it like this, but Douglas didn't settle for microwaved results, which I think is something to, to realize that he clearly, which is why he accepted a six-year contract, understood that this was a team that was years away from competing, that 10 years of terrible drafting has set this team back. And so he, yeah, I mean, he didn't spend big in free agency. He hoarded cap space until when the Jets were going to be better set up to compete. Um, and, you know, I, I hate it because he's, you know, ruined what little potential Sam Darnold had. Um, and, and you were talking about this because uh, there's this narrative that, um, that the Jets have like ruined franchise quarterbacks and and you can talk about that in a little bit but it's Douglas it's it's painful because I know he hurt the the growth of Sam Darnold but it's not on him it's more McCagnan um, because he's the one who built the roster for Darnold and it's more on Gaze but Douglas does share a little bit of that blame but when you look at Douglas I mean he's clearly playing the long game he didn't settle for microwaved results and people are trying to criticize his draft class and you had a great tweet about it's really Becton and Mann are really the only two that have played meaningful yeah, snaps. Criticizing the draft class is just it's so it's, ridiculously dumb. Makes no sense. We're four games into their careers. Two of them have played feature roles. The other two, Davis and, and uh, P. Ryan, have played sparingly. Um, both, by the way, had good training camps, may, you know, may I add. And then the rest haven't even hit the field. So we don't know what this draft class is. If it's just an all-pro left tackle – it's okay. That's a pretty good draft class. I mean, you can walk away with that. It's clearly McCagnon. He was picking earlier than 11, uh, which is what Douglas took Mackay Becton at. McCagnon was okay in the first round because he was picking so early that a lot of times they did get a good players. It was the later rounds, you know, two through seven, which is where he really set the team back. So that'll be interesting to see. It's like, is Mims going to be a guy who it's like, okay, he's our starting receiver for next year. He's a good contributor. Can Pirine carve out a bigger role? Can Davis work his way onto the field and, you know, there's questions like Zuniga, he should be coming back next year can, or next week. Can he provide a pass rush? There's questions that are going to be answered throughout the season. But the criticism of Douglas's draft class, I find, uh, is asinine. But to answer your original question, I would say Becton is, is the obvious one as far as a big stock rise. There are minor ones, I guess. Barrios as a receiver has been solid, but he's probably about what I expected. Um, I'm trying to think. You talk about Bryce Huff, the guy who Bri- I mean, came I was on our podcast. Huff. I was going to mention I mean, Bryce Huff. First game against the Colts, only played seven snaps, only rushed the passer three times, but he had a deflection and another pretty good rep where he almost created pressure. Uh, then got – that was enough for Greg to give him over 40 snaps against the Broncos, and he played really well. Had a couple of pressures, a couple of stuffs against the run, stopped a screen on third down, so pretty good – uh, wasn't officially a starter, but played over 60% of the snaps. So pretty good in his first extended action. Definitely. So he's a very promising start for him. Definitely. If we're going to look at the stock downs, and I do want to get, before we get out of here, get back to that point about the franchise QBs, because I was trying to remember that the whole episode and it finally just hit to me. If you're looking at stock down, there's a lot of guys. And Michael, you could pretty much name anybody that I don't name. But if you look across the board, actually one more for stock up, Jameson Crowder. Two oh, yeah. good performances has been clearly the Jets' best receiver. He had a great catch 
basically with his elbows. And he's a guy that's due ten million next year. The Jets could cut him, but I think that they just for the. I think I think he's definitely going to earn that. He's, I think like, exactly he's showing his value right now. I know there was that whole there was that whole tweet where it was like if you combine the Chiefs and the Jets, you know what a team that would make, and it was just all Chiefs players. And I thought that was unfair to Makai Becton, but also to Jameson Crowder, who I think would be a, you know starting at least the third receiver for the Chiefs over. He um, would be amazing in the Chiefs offense as a slot guy who can make downfield plays like he can he would be exactly. really good there so i think i think he'll come back so he's the, the last stock up but when you look at stock down like the big one that jumps out to me is chris herndon because all we heard about all offseason was he's a unicorn we're getting him back the chemistry of sam darnold and he's been quite frankly just bad i mean he's getting open like you pointed out which is a good sign but the drops have been bad gase's use of him has been bad the stock is definitely down the only positive i can think of and it's a very slim one is i guess in 2018 when he's a rookie his first few games there was the questions because uh, about the drops. He had some bad drops against Jacksonville, Miami. And then as the season went on, he, he fixed it and he had a great second half of the season. So maybe he's just a slow starter. This is his first action for the most part since 2018. But that, that drop on that final drive is really what killed it because it was right. first and 10. And, and, and I think it. Herndon was open. Uh, Darnold missed him a few times. Didn't, didn't see him open. And when he did throw, it was late a few times uh, right. throughout the first three games. But now you look at we're four games in. He fumbled against the Bills. He dropped an easy touchdown against the Niners. And now this drop in a clutch situation, it's tough to get your quarterback's trust when that's what you give him when he throws you the ball. So uh, I, I, he should have more production right now if Darnold has seen him all the time. But he, you got to be better than that when the ball comes your way. Right. As far as other guys stocked down, I mean, Brian Poole's another guy that jumps out to me who is still – Probably the Jets' best corner, but not as good as he was last year. He was pretty amazing last year, and that's a big part of the reason the defense is um, not as good. I mean, Jamal Adams is number one, but Poole was quite amazing in the slot for the Jets last year, and he's been yeah. – and, and he played a good game against the Broncos, but you're right. First three games, he was not 2019 version of himself. Right. Um, other stock downs. I mean, May has been solid, but he's not – you know, as just you can go basically the entire roster. We could just pick this apart. I mean, the other stock up, I guess I forgot about this. Quentin Williams also had another nice game against the yeah. Broncos. But outside of that, Connor McGovern's another guy that's not as been as good. Um, I don't know, Michael, just any other stock up, stock down. George Fant, a stock up. I think he's actually been pretty solid. So yeah. there's a few, few positives, but vastly outweighed by the negatives. Yeah, I think to go back to McGovern, that's a really good one. He is – he's – very weirdly he, his decline is odd because it's not like he's getting overpowered or anything he's just a lot of the pressures he's allowing and he's given up the second highest pressure rate at center this season uh, a lot of the pressures he's giving up are just he's late helping out and that's something he was really good at with, uh, with the broncos last year so uh it's it's weird to see him struggling with that so he, and he has battled injuries last couple games so, but still, that's not something that really you would think connects with being able to react quickly and help in pass protection. So, uh, you were hoping he would be one of those long-term pieces on the O-line, but so far he doesn't really look like it. So, hopefully, he does turn around. He's got 12 games to figure it out because that would be huge for you know the team this year and also the future. Uh, so, he, stock down definitely for him, but fan, like you said, stock up for sure. No pressures allowed, uh, or at least was credited with no pressures allowed against the Broncos. Uh, he's had a solid start to the season. Not great, but I think if you can call him an average starting right tackle, then you have a piece going forward. And between him and Becton, I think the tackle duo has been pretty good for the Jets this season. Probably their best in a very long time, probably since you had – 
you know, breaking his prime. Uh, and then, you know, Woody on the other side, obviously they're a lot better, but this is probably the first time they've had an okay, yeah. at least okay duo <laughs> since then with Becton being pretty much elite on the left and fan average on the right. If you can go into 2020 with just that, that's a great step forward off of having no pieces last year. So Fant definitely is a, a big positive so far, not in the fact that he's been amazing, but it, he's really developed. And it, it's also big uh, in terms of, I mean, we talked about Joe Douglas and how this signing of Fant would be really big in terms of his pro scouting ability. And it's looking pretty good so far. It really seems like Fant is an improved player and building on the progress that he quietly showed on film last year. So that, that signing is looking really good for Douglas, even though a lot of his other signings aren't looking too good. This is the one that I think was the, going to be the most representative of his evaluation ability. And so far it looks pretty solid. So right. Fant is a, a big one just for, uh, not only for you know himself and giving the Jets a starting lineman, but to learn about Douglas and his scouting, his pro scouting ability, uh, and especially offensive line, it's good to see fans starting off well. So hopefully he does finish the season playing this well because against the Broncos he didn't go against Bradley Chubb, who was on the right side uh, against the left tackle the entire time, so he didn't get the toughest competition in that game, but. Uh, hopefully he does keep it up and he's got some challenges coming up. Chandler Jones rushes both sides. The chargers have two good rushers in Bosa and Ingram. So he'll have some challenges, but so far Fant very promising for the O-line's future and Douglas and also telling us about Douglas's abilities. Right. But you're telling me that Beckton and Fant are better than Ben Ijelana and Ryan Clady. Oh, I forgot about them. <laughs> Brino Giacomini, Brandon Shell. I'm just trying to think of all the, the great I forgot about them. They were so good. Hall of Famers. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely. I think that – I mean, Ben Igelano, one fumble recovered in 2016. These amazing stats. <laughs> How quickly did you pull that up? I mean, um, it's on the screen you're sharing with me right now. <laughs> Touche. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would say that when you look at Douglas's free agent – uh, free agency period he had really four major signings some minor ones as well but McGovern who you're right hasn't been as good um, as advertised and he was the only other one outside of Beckton that they had a, a long-term commitment to not that long term of commitment but longer than one year so I would imagine he's gonna be back next year it'd be interesting to see if they try to play him more at guard which is rumored to be what they wanted to do with him um, but McGovern through four games hasn't been great um Fant has been a lot better than people thought. That signing got a lot of flack, and you're right. He's been he's provided some consistency at that right tackle spot. Perriman, hard to really get a read on him. I mean, the injuries, I mean, that's the best ability is availability. Um, so that's a negative. But Perriman, I'm, I'm interested to see if he can come back with Mims, if he can put together a solid second half of the season. And then Desir, it's pretty much been burnt toast the entire season, but does have three interceptions and a touchdown. But, yeah, an underwhelming free agent class for, for Douglas. But as I said, I mean, it's not – um, that wasn't his intent going into the season. He didn't clearly, as you could tell through free agency, didn't build this roster to win now, but I would expect him to be a lot more aggressive in free agency next year. I don't think he's ever going to be a big McCagnan like spender, but I think he will try to build, fill out the depth, build up the defense, find some key pieces um, these next two years in free agency while building through the draft. Uh, Michael, before we get out of here, just because I, I forgot to bring it up earlier and then I, I didn't want to forget about it. The whole, and you had a good tweet about it, the whole, because I've seen this tweet where it's like, oh, if the Jets get the number one pick, will Trevor Lawrence choose not to come to the Jets? Will he, you know, will he stay in school? By the way, Lawrence has already said this, this is his last year, I imagine. And look, that could always happen. But can you quickly just do me a favor and dispel that whole rumor 
about, first of all, why this is a terrible situation for Lawrence. And it's like no number one pick walks into a great situation. But when you look at that, he has a franchise left tackle, among some other things, why this isn't a terrible situation for a young quarterback. And then number two, can you just dispel that, that rumor that, uh, that the Jets have ruined umpteen franchise quarterbacks in their history? Yeah, there, there's this notion that, like, if the Jets get Trevor Lawrence, he'll – or if they get the number one pick, he'll decide to stay in school or, you know, just uh, avoid coming to the Jets, like pulling an Eli Manning. Or if the Jets do get him, they'll ruin him. I, I don't really get where that comes from. Have the Jets ruined Darnold? Yes, they have, but it wasn't really the Jets. It was Mike McCagden and Adam Gase, and there's no history before that of the Jets ruining quarterbacks. I mean – who have the recent franchise quarterbacks been? Geno Smith. He was a second-round pick. He was not a gifted, elite prospect. So there was no guarantee he would turn out anyway. And based on what he showed, I don't think he would have been good anywhere. Um, Mark Sanchez before that, the Jets couldn't have done any better supporting him. They could have done maybe a little bit better at receiver, but they're still pretty solid there. And offensive line was the best in the league by far during that two-year period the run game was good the defense was as good as anyone in the league so they could hardly have done better with Sanchez and he had a good tight end too with with, uh, Dustin Keller so even though the receivers weren't amazing they were still pretty good and he also had a good weapon in Keller so did a good job with him Chad Pennington I mean I would say he panned out in terms of when he played he was very good he was just banged up and couldn't stay healthy and he had pretty good support as well with the receivers, O-line, running back. So, I mean, he got good support and played well when he was healthy. So I don't really know where this notion is that the Jets ruined franchise quarterbacks. Because before Darnold, I mean, it was almost 10 years since they even had a franchise quarterback-type prospect, which was Sanchez. And they did a great job with him. And then before Sanchez, they hadn't done it since Pennington. And Pennington, they did a good job handling him. So... I have no idea where that comes from. Lawrence is not going to decline to play for the Jets. Like you said, he already said that he's going to the draft next year. Uh, And there's no reason to pass on playing for the Jets. I mean, the Browns have made plenty of number one picks. A lot of teams that look a lot uglier uglier than the Jets do right now have made number one picks and players haven't done anything. So, I mean, Adam Gase is the problem with the Jets and he'll most likely be gone. So, it's also like, I don't think the Jets, as far as number one picks, if I was coming out and I was going to be the number one pick in the draft, I don't think the Jets, playing in New York, you have a franchise left tackle and presumably an offensive line that's only going to get better because that's what the GM is committed to. You're going to have a new head coach, and if it's the number one pick, the Jets are going to have a hot head coach. I mean, they're going to have Emmy or Smith or, or Dable or Rome. somebody. The Jets will be able to convince one of those top candidates to come and coach Trevor Lawrence. Um, I would imagine it's going to be an improved team just considering uh, the, you know, the cap uh, that they have um, and just the amount of resources that they have to build around you. They're not barren. I mean, they're better than they were when Darnold got to the Jets. And now they have, as I just said, four first round picks the next two years. If they trade Darnold, probably two twos um, this year and two threes. So they have plenty of resources to build around you. You're in New York. I mean, would you rather be there or in Jacksonville or Carolina, or you know, there's just, I mean, right. I don't really feel like the Jets and, are that also, horrible. When you get the chance to be a number one pick, you can't pass up on that and take the risk. You know, you never know what could happen. You go back and play what you suffer an injury and, you know, you'll never get back to that point or you decline a little bit. You could miss out on so much money 
by doing that. So it right. doesn't make any sense. And it's good for his brand to be in New that. York. It's, I mean, if you win New York, yeah. I mean, you're going to be as big as Patrick Mahomes. If you win a Super Bowl in New York, I mean, you're going to be one of the biggest stars in the NFL. So not that he wouldn't be in, in Carolina or Jacksonville, but you know, everything's bigger in New York and, and that, that applies to, to QBs as well. Um, I think that's going to wrap it up for us. That was a bit of a long one, just some Jets therapy. Um, you know, I, I do like recording them after the games, but I guess this gave us a, a bit of, you know, a few hours or a whole night to sleep on it and just kind of collect our thoughts. But man, this has been a rough season. It, it's, it's weird. Well, things are getting better. The Jets did claim Ty Johnson from the Lions, bolstering their running back room, according, according to Ian Rockport. So I think we're going to be okay. Okay, well, that's awesome. I think the biggest thing that we have to look forward to is is uh, Mims coming back. All those rookies, Zuniga, Steve Ty Johnson, Ty Johnson, number one for sure. <laughs> Le'Veon Bell. I mean, I don't even it feels like he's not even on the team anymore. I've completely Best forgot. Best Johnson about. in the Jets organization, definitely. Um, so you know, uh, there there are some things to look forward to, but man, these next twelve weeks are going to be or next thirteen weeks are going to be tough. So. That'll do it for us. You can follow us at CYJPod on Twitter. You can follow Michael at Michael underscore Nanny. You can follow myself at Ben W. Blessington. You can find this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Spotify. We're at JetsXFactor.com. Check that out. The best place to go for Jets content. Um, I think that's it. Michael, any last words? I'm just really looking forward to seeing Ty Johnson. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm glad that's about – you're probably the only person in the entire world <laughs> looking forward to seeing Ty Johnson. Ronald takes the snap. Looks left under pressure. Bullets one over the middle. Yes.